little over a decade ago, Nick Wallace was working as a journalist at BBC Surrey in the southeast of England. It's a county news radio station. I had been appointed as the breakfast show presenter and I'd been there for just over a year and I was kind of still really getting my, my feet under the table, um, dealing with lots of local news stories. One morning, Nick was scrolling through the BBC series Twitter feed when something caught his eye. I got a tweet which was quite intriguing and I followed it up with a DM and it eventually led to a phone call with a man who told me that his pregnant wife had been thrown in prison for a crime she didn't commit, which was uh, not the usual sort of story we got at BBC Surrey. This man said his wife had worked at their local post office for over three years. And then one day out of the blue, she was fired for allegations of theft. She'd been accused of stealing £74,000. So I went along to see him just to have a, a more of an in-depth chat and record an interview with him. And his story was compelling. I mean, I hadn't got the resources to check it out, but he seemed to be legit. They agreed to keep in touch and Nick went back to work. I went back to my boss and I said, look, I think there might be something here. Nick started researching and turns out it wasn't just a one-off. There were dozens of other people online who had similar claims. They had all said they'd worked for the British post office, were accused of theft and facing criminal charges. And it wasn't long before I was talking to them. And it seemed as if this problem wasn't just limited to Surrey, but was happening all over the country. By now, Nick had enough material to run a story. And a couple of months later, I fronted a program which went out on our radio station and on local television, which had brought to light three case studies, including the person who initially contacted me, all saying that they had either been sacked, suspended or prosecuted for crimes they didn't commit. And after Nick's first report went out, even more people who had previously worked for the National Post Office came forward, saying the same thing was happening to them too. And I thought, well, if this story doesn't get out properly, more and more people are going to be criminalised. And there's clearly something going on here. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat, the podcast where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, what happens when the government turns on its employees? If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. In 1999, Nikki Arch lived in Chalford Hill. It's a small community in Gloucestershire in the southwest of England. It's the kind of place where everyone knows everyone. It really is a tiny village in the middle of nowhere, and the post office and shop was basically the on- only communal place there was for villagers to get together, chat, and see each other on a regular basis as well as getting their business sorted out. The British postal system is similar to the one in America. It's a government-owned public service. But a key difference here is that the people who run individual post offices or branches are self-employed 
and they're called postmasters. Nikki was the postmaster in her village. People come in to get, at that time, all their benefit payments, pay all their bills, telephone bills, um, housing costs, um, child benefit and such like. So in the community, we get to see mostly all, if not all, the pensioners within that community on a weekly basis, which enables them to get together, have a chat, make sure everybody's all right, um, obviously spread community news. All the transactions Nikki handled were done by pen and paper, which, as you can imagine, could get complicated. So you get cash delivered into the post office, which is cash you're going to pay out to customers, whether it be through benefits or banking facilities, uh, foreign currency, all those things, that cash, we never took in as much cash as we needed. So Nikki would make a huge spreadsheet and keep a tab of how much money was coming out of the post office to customers. The two should balance at the end of the week. So let's simplify. If you started off with, say, £100 and you paid out £50 of that, then your balance should sit at £50 that's left. On a weekly basis, Nikki was handling thousands and thousands of pounds, scribbling down everything that happened. We were still doing things in a very, very old-fashioned way, which was very time-consuming. Then, a year into the job, the post office announced that they'd be bringing in a new IT system called Horizon. The computer idea was that was that would automatically give you those figures of how much stock and cash you've got in branch, how much you've paid out, and how much you've you've taken in. In the early 2000s, big businesses around the world were rushing headfirst into a new digital way of working. And the post office was no different. And Nikki was excited. I totally... Um, it agreed fully with the post office and, and embraced the idea and was thrilled to do it. I was only in my 20s um, and I'd started doing computer courses privately in the evenings myself to get my knowledge up to date. The post office branch that Nikki ran was one of the first to have Horizon installed. The engineer turned up with the equipment and he unboxed it sort of found space for it because they were tiny little booths, these post offices. Well, mine was. And then the trainer who turned up with him switched it all on and said, right, we'll serve the customers and I'll show you as we go what to do. The trainer spent a few hours with Nikki, gave her a user guide, and then they were gone. It was a little bit frustrating because I was a bit oh my gosh, I can't believe they're going already. But I thought, well, you know, it's only a computer. Not that much could go wrong, as I thought. But it didn't take long before things did go wrong. The IT system was showing that her balance was way off. Just a week into Horizon being set up, it said that 2,000 pounds was missing from Nikki's post office branch. And so I thought, well, that's, that's strange. Nikki called the post office helpline. And I said, what do I do? You know, the pensions and allowances are saying I've paid £2,000 out more than I have. What shall I do? And uh, she said, well, are you sure the money isn't there? And I said, well, what money? I said, there is no money, additional money, because the calculation is wrong. 
The helpline reminded Nikki that this was a brand new system. She had to be patient and it would work itself out. But that didn't happen. The next week it doubled. Now Horizon was saying that 4,000 pounds was missing from Nikki's post office branch. The third week it doubled to eight. The fourth week it doubled to 16. The fifth week it doubled to 32. By then I was frantic. Every week, Nikki called the post office helpline. And every week, someone told her that there was nothing to worry about. I suppose I became, I don't know whether disengaged is the word, but I didn't see it as anything to do with me. I saw it literally as a computer error, as something was going on completely out of my control. What they knew all about it, it was reported evidence every week. Then, in November of 2000, three auditors showed up at Nikki's post office. They were almost like the teachers coming to check on us, if you like. They were still really useful to have around and really helpful. Nikki wasn't worried. She didn't have anything to hide. And we were having a chat, having coffee, um, talking about random things. Not a problem. I'd put a sign on the door to say, audit in progress. We will be open for business as, as soon as possible. But then the tone changed. One of the auditors told Nikki that they had to ask her some more questions and she needed to come with them to the main post office in town. And we walked through the main office and it felt a bit atmospheric, I have to say. I thought, oh God, you know, I felt like people were looking at me to say, oh, what's going on? You know, like the people who worked in the office. Nikki was led to a small room at the back of the office. And then, the door locked. Shit. And that sort of made me feel a bit uncomfortable, but but it was what it was. And then she said, oh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to record this conversation. And I said, well, what do you want to record it for? And then the man said, I, he said, well, Nicola, I don't think you actually realise the amount of trouble you are in. And Nikki was in trouble. She was accused of taking the 32,000 pounds that was missing from her post office branch. I felt like, how have they tricked me into being locked in this room, having a recorded conversation, being accused of stealing, in effect. Yet, five minutes ago, they'd shared coffee, they'd shared biscuits, had long chats for about two hours in branch. And then all of a sudden, they become my enemies. It didn't make any sense. First of all, if you're gonna accuse me of stealing, don't have coffee and biscuits with me. And Nikki had been reporting that there was problems for weeks. And now, she was right in the firing line. I said, as you know, I've never done anything untoward like that ever. Well, I think you're just wasting everybody's time because we know you've taken the money. Nikki was kept in that room and questioned for another three hours. And I was 24 years old and it felt like I'd been hit by an Arctic lorry. I thought, I, I cannot believe I've come to work, you know, happy, happy with life, just a normal day's work, opening my little shop. Yeah, it wasn't a big shop, but it, it was a steady little business that I wanted to grow and it was mine. And I, I thought, my God, in a matter of hours, everything had, had changed. 
Nikki was forced to give one of the auditors the keys to the post office. He said, I'm not giving you the keys back to that business. And I can promise you, you will never step foot in it again. What do you mean, I'm never stepping foot in there again? What's going on? Well, that's coming up after the break. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After that day in Nikki's main post office, life in her small village completely changed. I couldn't get another job because it was in the papers that I was the woman who stole from pensioners. So I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? In January of 2001, Nikki was fired from the post office. The local newspaper covered the accusations in an article called Woman Steals Cash Off of Pensioners. And every time I went in the shop, it was almost like the whole supermarket went silent. That's what it felt like to me. I thought, oh my God, everyone's looking at me. They're thinking I've stolen, stolen off of elderly people. The image that everyone had of Nikki as the friendly postmaster, well, that was gone. One day I left and two women were stood outside and they spat at me and it was all hanging from my hair. And I thought, I, I cannot do this anymore. I, I'm not doing this anymore. It got really bad. And over time, Nikki's world got smaller and smaller. I just shut myself indoors. Um, meanwhile, I'd gone to the doctor. She'd prescribed me some antidepressants. Very supportive doctor. And I know if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be alive. I, I can guarantee it. But then it was time to go through the legal process. After all of that, Nikki's case went to trial in 2002 and the charges of theft and fraud were dropped because of lack of evidence. The jury came up with the unanimous verdict of not guilty. And the judge just then turned around and said, right, Mrs. Arch, you're free to go. Nikki had been found innocent, but in a lot of ways, the damage had already been done. The post officers scuttled away. 
The business is gone. I have nothing, but I'm innocent. So what do I do now? And and so the following day was a bit of an anticlimax, if you know what I mean. You, you, you know, I thought, oh my God, what what do I do? What? How do I rebuild from this? She decided her first step would be to call the local newspaper, the same people who wrote an article about her charges. And so I said, look, none of you covered my court case yesterday. I was proven innocent. You put in the papers 18 months ago that I'd been stealing off of pensioners. What have you got to say? Oh, oh, well, oh, well, we're pleased, pleased for you that... I said, no, no, that's not good enough. I said, you know, I want you to put in the papers now that I've actually been proven innocent. But no one ever did write a follow-up article about Nikki. And she didn't feel like things in the village would ever be the same again for her. She sat down with her husband and they went through their options. We discussed it and I said, let's move. Let's try and start again somewhere else. That's all we can do. Nikki and her partner sold their house and moved to a different town 15 miles away. I'd never been in any trouble. I'd had no criminal records, no nothing ever in my life. And I managed to get a job um, in social services with the local council. Nikki began a new life working as a carer in assisted living. It was the fresh start she needed. In 2005, Nikki and her husband had a baby boy. And that gave me the will to think, no, let's build. Let's try and do something. Let's try and be something. Let's try and make the best of what we've got. And I have got this little bundle of blessing. But it wasn't easy to forget what happened and forget about what she'd lost at the post office. I'd always wondered what I could have been or what could have ever evolved from that business because I loved the job. So there was still regret there. You know, and this is all down to this happening. From that day, it changed me for forever. And I will never, ever go back to that same person I was, the bubbly 24-year-old, before any of this. When the Horizon system was brought in, postmasters around the UK, like Nikki, had problems with it from the beginning. And the post office, at first, were, was in complete denial that it had a problem. That's journalist Nick Wallace again. During this time, he was keeping a close eye on what was happening. The consequences were catastrophic because the post office would say, well, you've got a £10,000 hole in your accounts. So you need to make that good. And these are small business owners. They don't have £10,000 lying around. I mean, who has £10,000 just lying around? And even if they did, why is it their responsibility to fix a faulty system? Throughout the 2000s, individual postmasters up and down the country were facing charges of theft and fraud. For the first decade of Horizon's existence, you had a situation whereby postmasters were being prosecuted and convicted through the criminal courts by post office solicitors at a rate of one a week on average. One conviction a week? That means by 2009, the number of sub-postmasters being convicted had reached 525. There can't be 525 crooked postmasters. And I'm sure by now, you're probably thinking, how on earth was the British post office managing to have so many people arrested at such a fast pace? The post office has the oldest recognized investigative unit in the world. It predates the police. It also has a criminal prosecution department. 
and it could bring private prosecutions against sub-postmasters. So if you or I were accused of committing a crime, first of all, the police would investigate. Then they would see whether or not there was a case to answer, and they would hand that over to the criminal prosecution service, who would then make a decision as to whether or not to prosecute, which means that there are two independent bodies who have checks and balances in place between the victim and the courts. But that wasn't the case here. The post office was the alleged victim, i.e. it's alleged that its sub-postmasters were stealing from it. It had its own investigators, and it had its own prosecutors. So it was able, and there was a huge conflict of interest here, to take individual sub-postmasters straight to the criminal courts without any of the checks and balances that would normally be in place through the police and through the, the Crown Prosecution Service in any other walk of life. This was a total shock to the postmasters who'd been operating their branches for years without any problems. By 2008, 2009, there were enough sub-postmasters, diligent, hardworking, intelligent people who were saying, I've been dragged through the criminal courts for something that I haven't done. There is clearly nothing wrong with the way that I go about my accounting. I'm a diligent person. There must be something wrong with the IT system. Meanwhile, Nikki Arch was trying to rebuild her life in a new town with a small child. Then, in 2011, Nikki's buddy from back in Charford Hill came to visit. He has some news. A friend of mine had seen an article in the newspaper saying that um, there was this group of people who had prosecutions put against them regarding the post office computer system, and he brought it to my house one night and said, look, I think there's more than you. I think, you know, something's going on here. This, this is strange. The article was talking about a group called the Justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance, or the JFSA. I thought, God, can, have I got the strength to, to go there again? Do I really want to dredge this up? But I thought, I've got to. I've got to, because these people were innocent. Nikki went online and found the JFSA website. It was full of testimonies that felt all too familiar. They were told it was just them. You know, and it couldn't possibly be the computer system. Irrelevant to their past records of employment, of working with them, of getting police checked by them. Not everyone had been acquitted like Nikki. She discovered that hundreds of members of the JFSA were facing jail time. It was just diabolical. You, you listen to it and, and it could have been you. You know, you listen to it and think, God, that, that actually, she could be talking about me right now. And other than going to prison, everything else, losing your business, your reputation, your health, everything is exactly the same. It felt like Nikki was watching a national scandal unravel before her eyes. A scandal that was being hidden from the public. That's after the break. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to yeah. bring something like this to life. And yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to <laughs> pretend that I don't right Hold now. it in. And our current faves. And Luffy must have his due. <laughs> and we agree on some things but not on everything. Hi. Oof. 
I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. The justice for Sub-Postmasters Alliance was growing in numbers, but outside, support was limited. More and more case studies were coming up all the time, and there was sporadic media interest, but very, very little. For people outside of the JFSA, you probably wouldn't care or know what was going on. I kept coming back to the idea that either all these people are lying or grievously mistaken, or we're sitting on one of the biggest miscarriages of justice that this country's ever seen. And yet the media traction was minimal, and I couldn't understand why. The post office were brilliant at squashing the story. They used to just go around to editors, newspaper editors, and say, look, there's no evidence. that you, you, Your journalists are barking up the wrong tree. There's absolutely no evidence there's anything wrong with our systems or our IT system. It was only in 2013 that the post office agreed to commission an independent investigation to look into the Horizon system. I think that the post office's attitude was we will undertake an independent investigation for the comfort of others. It would prove what we already know, which is that there's nothing wrong with our IT system and there's nothing wrong with our business processes. But if you're the one convicted, I'd imagine you'd be thinking, you can keep your comfort. Let's get on with this investigation. And when they did, they found multiple issues all was not well with the IT system, all was not well with the way that people were trained on it, all was not well with the way the post office went about prosecuting and investigating sub-postmasters. In fact, they, they basically opened a lid on a can of worms. And even though the post office had paid for a second opinion by an independent company, they said, nope, we appreciate it, but we're gonna stick to our own story and deny that there was anything fundamentally wrong with our Horizon IT system. When those investigators said, actually, you've got serious problems, the post office went out of its way to discredit those investigators and cover the investigation up. In 2015, the post office stopped accusing individual postmasters of theft and fraud, but refused to acknowledge why or that it had anything to do with the investigation. And this silence went on for another six years. It was insane. You, you had... Witnesses, you had people from all walks of life who had become sub-postmasters living in all different parts of the country, all telling the same story, saying how they, they'd come across these anomalies in their accounts which they couldn't explain and were being blamed for them. And the post office was essentially insinuating that these were all people jumping on a bandwagon who'd been caught with their hands in the till and were now trying to pull the wool over their MPs and journalists' eyes. It felt like these postmasters were never going to find justice. And the years were just passing by. But sometimes when you're not willing to back down, it can pay off. 
The JFSA had been busy trying to find law firms to help them sue the post office. But it wasn't easy. They needed funding or something called an after-the-event insurance policy. They will say to you, right, we will pay your legal fees to get this to a verdict. That's Nikki Arch again. Now, if we lose, how much it's cost us in legal fees is how much we lose. If we win, we will take a percentage of what you win. And that is all set out before the case even starts, if they're prepared to invest. None of the members of the JFSA could afford any legal representation at all. In this case, the opponent was the post office, one of the largest, most powerful and trusted British institutions. And this was a group of people who had lost everything and had criminal records. The investors saw it as, you're going through to the biggest company in the country, the government. Why on earth would you go against them? What chance have you got of winning that case? Well, in 2017, a national law firm called Freeth's took the chance. They agreed to take the JFA's case through a group litigation order. The more people in a group you have, more often than not, the investors see you as a force to be reckoned with, so to speak. Although we were going against the government, which in itself sounds ridiculous, but there was over 500 of us and a group litigation gives you, it gives you almost a bit more wallet than if you were stood on your own. If it was one person against an organisation of that size, they'd eat you up. By this point, the JFSA had close to 600 members. 555 claimants were represented in court. The case went to the High Court of Justice in London. They try only the most serious civil cases. Nikki made the trip down. I wanted the barrister, the judges, everyone to see that we actually exist. We're real people. And if none of us had turned up, I think that would have let them off the hook. I thought, no, we aren't much, but we matter. Right on, Nikki. She was so dedicated, she made the long trips to London whenever she could. You know, we've got to see it through to the end. Whatever the end outcome is, we need to see it through the end. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. And it's not unusual for a case this size to go on for years. But then, in 2019, the court came to a decision. National news stations like Channel 4 waited outside to hear the verdict. They entered the court as criminals, but walk out as innocent people. I got my life back. The post office agreed to settle, paying almost 58 million pounds in damages. I thought, no, you're no better than me. You're, you're no better than me. You're no more important than me. And, and so it gave me a little bit of equality, you know, instead of the bully tactics. Nikki Arch received 8,000 pounds in compensation. And I'm sure you're thinking what I'm thinking. And so was she. 8,000 pounds wasn't good enough. They totally ripped my life apart and everybody who was in my life at the time and my future as well and and give me £8,000 and walked away. And I'm meant to celebrate what victory that is. No, 
No is right. Nick Wallace was there the day the verdict was announced. December 2019 was pivotal and it opened the door for further compensation schemes and all the quashings of the convictions that had been building up over the 20-year period and the campaign. After the high court ruling, even more cases were brought forward. I think anyone who's got anything to do with this scandal will look back and say, well, that was the point at which the post office's position became untenable. A separate protocol was set up to investigate every conviction that came from the post office. The post office have finally recognised that they have an obligation to every person who was erroneously prosecuted to find them, explain to them what has gone wrong. So slowly, people are getting their convictions quashed. So we've had 83 convictions quashed to date. There will be many more to come. But because of the way this has all been handled, it's hard to know just how long this will take. The problem is many of these people could be dead. Many of these people may have left the country. Many will be traumatised by the experience. And when they see a letter from the post office come through their door, the last thing they are going to do is open it. And even if they do, they won't trust it or interact with it. And as it stands, no individual person from the post office has been blamed for what happened. In 2021, the post office finally cut ties with the Horizon IT system. It is the most widespread miscarriage of justice in British legal history. It is a massive deal, this story, and the consequences of it will continue to rumble on for years to come. Nick Wallace published a book on this called The Great Post Office Scandal. I find it extraordinary because I've covered quite a few stories in my career. And I understand how corporations have to protect their own reputation. And I understand the natural inclination of people to want to protect their own backsides uh, when things are going wrong. But we are talking about something as serious as sending innocent people to prison. Nowadays, it's really not unusual to hear stories of big businesses that put reputation and profit over the well-being of employees. You know, the regular, everyday working folks. But what makes this story so shocking is that these postmasters were forced to pay for the mistakes of a shoddy computer system, and not just with their wallets. Hundreds and hundreds of innocent, hardworking individuals lost their livelihoods because no one wanted to admit that the Horizon IT system was raggedy. And the people at the top, they didn't want to take the blame. And really, that's not the only crazy thing about this story. When you think about it, if any other company thought their employees were stealing money, they called the police. But the post office basically just called themselves. And this meant that they didn't have to hold themselves accountable. We've all used technology. We still use it. Been using it for years. And we know that sometimes it doesn't work. And in this case, it's okay that the IT Horizon system failed. New technology is always having problems, especially when this was a time when people were still getting used to even working with computers. So maybe when your employees were complaining about the system, just do some troubleshooting before ruining the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people, all because you didn't want to say that you were wrong for trusting it.
Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. When I got to Charlotte in 1984, the big celebrities were a few NASCAR drivers, a few pro wrestlers, and Jim and Tammy. It was the biggest scandal going, and in some ways the perfect scandal. You had sex, you had money, you had religion. It was all there, and it all played out here in Charlotte. The bottom line is, they were offering and promising more than they could possibly deliver. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Olivia Cope. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Mixing and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Kyra Asabe Bonsu is our associate producer. Special thanks to the Sony legal team. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. <laughs>